My name is Dave. I am uh, glad to see you here this morning. We're going to continue in our series from Jeremiah, and uh, so I would encourage you to turn your Bibles. We're going to be looking at chapters 2 to 11, and so just to kind of locate that uh, as we uh, as we go through the text today. Uh, this week we will celebrate uh, our nation's birth 241 years ago. Um, when I was in Kiev uh, back in April, I went to a church that had been established in 1100 A.D., a little bit older than America, just by a little bit. Uh, when, uh, when we think in terms of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was written about 1,700 years before St. Sophia's Church was established in Kiev. That was even before that song was written. I just, just thought you'd like to know that. Most of the songs that uh, we sing were written a little bit longer than that, uh, or not, I mean, not as long as, as, as the time of Jeremiah, except some of David's psalms, maybe were in that period. But one of the things that we know from the study of, of Jeremiah is that God was God in the midst of a very tumultuous time. God has always been God. God has been the God who can be with us in good times and in difficult times. Last week when Brian introduced our series here in Jeremiah, he talked about the importance of the call that God placed in Jeremiah's life. God called Jeremiah. And if you, if you were here last week and you, you studied through that, you see some of the implications and, of, of what it means to be called by God and to sense God's calling in your life. And I hope that if you have not yet sensed God's call in your life, that even today you would listen to hear, God, what are you saying to me? What do you want to say to me? And God, what are you calling me to do? Because God did not just call Jeremiah so that Jeremiah could add to his LinkedIn a new certification, I am now a prophet of God. You know, do you get those updates from friends with LinkedIn? You know, job changes and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm afraid to put anything on LinkedIn. I have people that, that send me emails and say, please add me to your LinkedIn. I don't... I don't know if that's from them, I, but I get them, and I so-and-so celebrating an anniversary according to LinkedIn. Good, I guess. One time, I responded to a LinkedIn thing, and I said, hey, I saw this. And the person said, no, actually, I had lost my job, and so I was trying to update it, and it says I got a new job at my old location. When you think in terms of how God called Jeremiah. It wasn't just for the purpose of Jeremiah being able to say, I am now a prophet of God. Why did God call Jeremiah? He called Jeremiah for the purpose of the ministry to which he had given Jeremiah, and that was to take on a very tough responsibility of being the prophet of God, being the voice of God, to people who were fully rejecting God, and God still sent the prophet to try to reach them. 
That was the message. That was what he wanted them to understand. Now, if you're, if you have your sermon page in your bulletin, if you have that open, you'll notice the word conundrum across the top. This will be your word for the week. See how many times you can work it into your conversations at lunch. But what is a conundrum? A conundrum is a seemingly unavailable question or an unanswerable question or problem. Dilemmas involving ethics, sociology, or economics. And I point that out because Jeremiah faced a conundrum. And Jeremiah's conundrum was, how could a God who loved his people so much have people who are so unloving in response to him? Because that's the circumstance. That is the circumstance in which Jeremiah began his ministry. Jeremiah's ministry spanned three kings. It was over 44 years in length. And all of those times he was dealing with people who were resistant to the truth. And so today when we say, are we aching to know what is true? Jeremiah was dealing with people that somehow did not really want to know the truth and God felt it important to stress the truth to them. And that was why Jeremiah was called. He was called to be the prophet. He was called to be the one who would tell them the truth. So let's take a look, Jeremiah chapter 2, and, and let me show you this what this conundrum for Jeremiah looked like. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. That's verse 1. Now go to verse 5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. That was Jeremiah's conundrum. God, why have your people turned so far away from you Why have your people turned so far away from the love that you have given to them? All of the blessings you've poured out upon us as a nation. Why have your people rejected that? And so this is what I want us to be able to do today when we take a look at these passages of Scripture. Is is it possible that we are aching to know the truth Or are we aching because we have ignored the truth? And is there a difference? Yeah. I am aching because of or I am aching for. I am longing for something or I am aching as the result of having rejected something. And so when we talk about Jeremiah today, we want to see what was it that Jeremiah was trying to get Israel, trying to get Judah actually, specifically, To understand, remembering the choices that we have made, but understanding the significance of those choices. It is important about, it is important for us to to remember them, but to understand what took place. If you skip down to verse 13, Jeremiah says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, And they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. 
Now, does that sound like a description of anyone to you? Jeremiah said two sins. What was the first sin that Jeremiah identified? God says through Jeremiah, God says, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. This is Jeremiah. This was 1,700 years before St. Sophia's, which was in 1,100, which was a long time ago. And God is referring to himself as the spring of living water. We'll come all the way to, the, to Jesus, and he will say, I have water within me, that when you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. But in Jeremiah's day, they had rejected the spring of living water. And they knew they needed water. And so they sought to replace it by digging their own cisterns. Anybody ever grow up having a cistern as your water supply? Uh, I'm not surprised that it would be Jerry Wade because, I mean, Jerry Wade is that old. <laughs> and he also lived in southern Illinois. What is a cistern? A cistern is a place where you get water and you hold water. In the old days, it was water that was collected from runoff and rain and all of those kind of things. And then you had that source of water. One of the biggest problems with a cistern was that if it cracked, all your water would drain out. Another problem that you would have with a cistern was that your cistern could get polluted. That something would get in it and your water would get tainted. Jeremiah is saying... Why have you rejected the spring of living water for a cistern you have dug and your cistern doesn't even work? It's broken. It leaks. It gets contaminated. Why have you done that? That's a conundrum. I don't understand why you've made that choice. That's what Jeremiah was saying to the people. Now, I think it is interesting. Richard Niebauer wrote a book called The Kingdom of God in America. And I think it reflects, sadly, some of the theology that is, is evident in America. Niebauer said that we want a God without wrath, bringing men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Think through that. We want a God without wrath, bringing men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. And Niebauer wrote that in 1938. Sounds like he wrote it last week, doesn't it? You see, the description is that when once we forsake the spring of living water, that's all we're left with. But we have this sense that I need something, and so I want a religion that that kind of looks like water, but it isn't the real living water. I know that I need something, so I will make it up as I go along. When I was mentoring at Hoover Elementary, I had one little boy that loved to play chess. I'm not any good at it. I am thankful that in the supply room there at Hoover, they had... I called it chess with training wheels. It actually, it actually had the little, each little piece had an arrow showing you which way that piece could go. Anybody ever play with that? That's, 
And so I would, I would say to my little guy, now, now, according to this, you can do this. Well, and he had been, you remember that Hoover has a chess club. He had been to chess club one time. And he said, but the rule is, and he changed the rules so that he could play. Your kids have probably done the same thing. Change the rules. This is the way. And, oh, in this case, here is this, and I get to do it that way. That's kind of the way Israel was behaving. They'd rejected the spring of living water. They'd built cisterns that didn't work, and they wondered why they were thirsty. You know, it seems that the people recognized that their sins were unacceptable to God, but they didn't consider that to be of any real importance. Well, I know that, you know, I know you're not supposed to do that, but I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. And they still claim that they had the privilege that came with being God's people. We are God's people, after all. They claimed that they had the privileges that other nations didn't have. And so they considered anyone who tries to correct them or point out some sin as, as someone who doesn't really have the authority to do so. God called Jeremiah to take on a very tough task to deal with a very stubborn, hard-nosed, rebellious people who said, well, that may be true, but I've got another, I've got another excuse for that. And besides, you don't have the right to tell me what to do. You see, basically, that was the line that was used back in the Garden of Eden. Yes, God did say that we should not eat from the tree of life. And the liar came along, Satan came along, and he said, no, 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 no. God knows that if you eat from that, you'll be just like him. And doesn't that fruit look good? And it will make you as wise as God. And go ahead. And so she ate. And then Adam ate. And God comes walking in the cool of the evening after Adam and Eve realized their nakedness and realized their sin. And he comes along and he's calling to them. And he's not calling to them because he doesn't know where they are. He's calling to them so that they will know where they are. In hiding. And they say, we're hiding because we were naked. And the Lord says, really? Who told you you were naked? Well, have you eaten of the fruit? Well, the woman you gave me, she. Really quick. Pass the blame. Really quick. By the time that Jeremiah comes along, the people are saying, I, I don't want to listen to you, Jeremiah, because I want to do it my way. They are so rebellious. God has warned them. They, the, their neighbors to the north, their brothers and sisters in Israel to the north, have already been taken into captivity by the Assyrians, and they still are not repenting down in Judah. It's a conundrum. Why would anyone choose to reject the living water for a muddy puddle that you're going to build yourself. Why? So perhaps today these verses describe our circumstances. If you skip over to chapter 8, verse 20 in chapter 8 is a really sad verse to me. Because in chapter 8, verse 20, we read, The harvest is past. The summer has ended. We're not saved. 
Folks, that is, a, that is a very apt description of where a lot of people are right now. Summer is past. Or the harvest is past. The summer has ended. We're not safe. There has been no change in my life through all the seasons. I have still rejected. I'm sorry, we just walked out of camera range. Last week, at some point, I can't remember who it was was on stage. They walked out of camera range, and I made a note to myself, don't walk out of camera range next week. I'm back. But we have gone through life, and we've season after season, and there's been this still this stubbornness that says, "I want to do it my way." This muddy water I'm drinking doesn't satisfy me. I hear you talking about this spring of living water over here, but I just have gotten so accustomed to drinking muddy, slimy water. That was where Jeremiah was as he was dealing with the people. You see, what they, what they found was those were their choices. That, that was the choices that they had made. Now they're experiencing the circumstances. In Jeremiah chapter 5, Jeremiah is, or God says to Jeremiah, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem and look around and consider and search her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, then I will forgive this city, although they say as surely as the Lord lives, still they're swearing falsely. He continues in verses 12 to 13. They have lied about the Lord. They said, He will do nothing. No harm will come to us. We will never see the sword or famine. The prophets are but wind, and the word is not in them. So let, so let what they say be done to them. What a rebellious action. What a, how, how rebellious. How stubborn. How similar, maybe, to some of our own attitudes. God says to Jeremiah, go find one. Just go find one. And, and if, if, you can, if you can find one person, I'll forgive the city. Remember when, when Abraham was pleading with the angel of the Lord about Sodom and Gomorrah? Because his nephew Lot was down there and God had said, that city is so wicked, I'm going to destroy it. And, and Abraham enters into this negotiation God, if we can find 50 people in there, could we stay in the city? Because that's a big city. And God says, for 50 people. And then Abraham realizes, that is a really sinful city. How about 40? God says, 40, 30, 20, 10. Jeremiah hears from God, and God says, if you can find one, I don't want to take this out of context, but do you realize the influence of one? God would have saved the city for one person who was faithful. I can't, we can't ignore the fact that God is willing to do great work through one person who will trust Him and be faithful to Him, right? And maybe you're the one. Maybe in your circumstance, you're the one. You may be the only one that wants to live following the Lord. But be the one. Because God said to Jeremiah, if you can find one, 
I got something to work with. Now, why didn't Jeremiah say, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm one. No, what God was saying is, Jeremiah, I'm here to send you as my prophet to preach the word. I need you to see if there's anybody, anybody. It wasn't that God just got ticked one day. God was dealing with the fact that the whole nation had rejected him as God. Then the circumstances that they find themselves in. And now we're going to talk about the consequences of the choices they've made. Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah begins with a sermon. Uh, Jeremiah 7 begins with a sermon that Jeremiah preaches. And he's standing in front of the temple. And it's a powerful call that urges repentance or else they will face the punishment that God has withheld until now. And he begins with this phrase. Hear the word of the Lord. And his message contains both promises and warnings. And they are the consequences of choices that are based on the circumstances they're in. And this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship. Notice, he's standing at outside the temple. And God says, I want you to go stand there. And to everybody who comes in to worship, notice, they haven't stopped going through the, through the, the motions. They haven't stopped going through the routine. God says, Jeremiah, go stand at the temple, the place where my people ought to be. And I want you to say this to those, to those people that come through here to go in to worship. Get the picture? It's not as if they've already torn down the temple. They're going through the motions. Go stand there. And this is what I want you to say. Verse 3. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? What's he? Why did Jeremiah stutter? Why? What he was saying was, I hear your ritual and it means nothing. When, when you find people that are real quick, maybe to quote a scripture verse, but their life doesn't live the scripture verse they quote, it's kind of like what Jeremiah was facing here. God was saying, Jeremiah, I want you to go stand at the, at the entrance to the temple and all the people that are going through the worship, I want you to warn them. Because they're going in saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. But they don't mean it. What? What a call to be people who consistently live what God has called them to live. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly and if you don't oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. 
Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 8. That could be the sermon all, all in itself. Jeremiah has been called by God to deliver an unpopular message to a stubborn people. And in the midst of that, God is still saying, if you will repent, I will let you live. Do we understand how much grace God has for us? Do you understand that when you came through those doors today, God was saying, I don't want you to come into this house and repeat a bunch of trite religious phrases. But if you come into this house and you're willing to repent, you're willing to change your ways, I will give you the water of life. I will refresh you. Verses 9 to 11. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, follow other gods you've not known, then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we're safe? Do you see all the things that God is saying? Take a look at this, folks. Think with me. Think out loud with me here. Does this make sense? It is a conundrum. Why would anyone make such a choice? Continue to read. Jeremiah says, Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. Does that remind you of anything in the ministry of Jesus? When Jesus goes into the temple and he said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And you've turned it into a den of robbers. Jeremiah was saying the same thing to Israel that many centuries before. God asked three rhetorical questions. We come to the end of the eighth chapter. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing? Rhetorical questions. Questions that that we know what the answer is. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Brian mentioned it. Gilead was famous for its healing salves. You've got something that you think will heal you physically. Is there nothing that will heal you spiritually? Will you be open to what God wants to accomplish in your heart and will you allow Him? Is there no physician there? Jeremiah is the prophet proclaiming the message of God. He is the one who has the prescription. He is the one who would administer the ministry of grace. People would repent. And then he asked the question, why is there no healing? Because people are not wanting to accept what God has said. In chapter 9, Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says, See, I will refine and test them For what else can I do because of the sin of my people? Their tongue's a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully with their mouths. They speak all speak cordially to their neighbors, but in their hearts they set traps for them. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Are you aching to know the changes? How do I change it? Dave, you pretty well convinced me. The Holy Spirit has pretty well convinced me. I really need to make some changes in my life. But how do I do that? How do I make those changes? (coughs) 
In Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 23 and 24 is a prayer, and I want us to take a look at that prayer. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse, or Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, Jeremiah prays, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. Discipline me, Lord, but only in due measure, not in your anger, or you will reduce me to nothing. Think about that prayer, and here's what I'd like for you to do. At the bottom of your sermon page, there's a little blank place, and I'd like for you to rewrite that prayer as it applies to you. Here's some things to think about, and you, you, you look at that prayer. You see, Jeremiah draws from what God has taught previously as he forms his own prayer in response to God's judgment. Jeremiah shows a humility. Jeremiah honors God and at the same time reveals his inner struggle. You see, here's another conundrum, and that is that when I release control, into the control of the Holy Spirit, then my life will have meaning and purpose and blessing. But if I won't, I'm still in, I'm still in the same stuck place I've always been. Jim Elliot, the missionary who was martyred, wrote, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Lord, I know that my life is not my own, but rather it's a gift from you. Maybe that's something you need to write in your prayer. Lord, I know that I need you to direct my steps. Help me follow you. I know that I deserve destruction, but I need the grace that only comes from you. You see, when Jeremiah came to preach, when Jeremiah stood outside the church house, stood outside the temple, God was directing him and saying, even then, there are those, as they go by you, who are going through the motions, but the fact that they're there gives you an opportunity to speak to them. Have you given the Holy Spirit an opportunity to speak to you this morning? And what's he said? What has he said to you? What has he prompted you? How has He prompted you? Is there an area in your life that needs repentance? Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as, as Savior. You need to do that. Maybe you don't know exactly what's involved in that. I would invite you to come down to the front in our next song or after service is over and let someone share with you what it means to follow Christ, to be baptized into Him for the forgiveness of sin the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit for a new life that will give a river of life that will flow out of you for all eternity. Father, I thank you that even in the midst of rebellion, in the midst of, of heartache and sorrow and suffering, you still hold out the hope of forgiveness, of grace, Strength for the day if we will respond. 
And so, Lord, may we do so. In Jesus' name I pray.